Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me this week, and as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. As I said before, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. You can find all of my work at autoguide.com as well as its YouTube channel. And Ben, you can find his work just about anywhere on the internet. Ben, what are the last places that you've published some work? Uh, you can find my work at Automobile Magazine, at Super Street, at Driving Line, and Haggerty Classic. Okay, Car. all right, all right. That's a long list. We don't need to bore everyone with the. Actually, we do have some time to kill today. Any other publications you want to talk about? No, I, I'm gonna just I'm gonna let it ride. Okay, so this week we have a very exciting car to talk about in particular, actually. This is the brand new 2019, it's, oh, it's the Hyundai Veloster N, as in Nancy. Or Namyang. Or Nürburgring? We can't figure it out. Uh, the branding on this car is a little confusing, but that is, in fact, the only thing about the car that is uh, not entirely appealing. Uh, I'm going to say something controversial, Sammy. This has been a year where I've made a lot of controversial statements on the podcast. Can can you guess what this one's going to be? Yeah, that this is the this deserves a, another door on on the past on the driver's side, right? That that is accurate, but the my statement is going to be that this is the most interesting car I've driven this year. What? Yes. Okay, so let's back. Look, we got to rewind. We got to rewind because I I remember you saying maybe you've had a good year. It's 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 possible that you've had a good year, and we're just around halfway through the year now. You've said this before. You said it with like the BMW 8 series. You've yes. said it with some other cars that I cannot remember because no, my my, I, my, I, my I, you're memory just, is really short. You're making that up for drama, but I did definitely no. say it with the 8 series. Okay, and I said the now 8 you're... series was I think my favorite car. It, it, the my favorite BMW, um, that and the M2, I thought were the best cars they were currently making. And now you're saying that the new Hyundai Veloster N is the most interesting Hyundai you've ever driven? No, I'm saying it's the most interesting car I've driven in a year, in the in, in this calendar year, in 2019. It it just you know, it and it's it's in such contrast to the vehicle that I'm currently driving, which we'll talk about next week, and I don't want to give it away, but there was this moment where I got out of the Veloster N and I got into the new vehicle and I turned it on, and it was everything that I loved about driving and being inside the Veloster N and having that experience, this current car was the exact opposite. Okay. <laughs> and it just well, it just was so discouraging. It was like, oh yeah, this is what ninety percent of new cars are like. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well let's that let's prioritize the car that we will talk about, and that's this one. The Veloster N is uh well first of all, it's the first car to come to North America with that N that Hyundai N branding. And that's very important because as I think um, the N division is, is meant to be these track-oriented cars, these cars that uh, exhibit the most enthusiastic driving vehicle that Hyundai offers. Um, and that's done through, well, some sniping of some other guys in the industry. I believe it's Albert Bierman, who's the uh, vehicle dynamics engineer on the on this brand, which well, he, well, was, he used to, he he used to run a- things at... Sorry, go ahead. BMW M for he was their research and development leader for eight years, and uh, mm-hmm. but they also have uh, Thomas Shimera, who was former head of BMW M America. So, so they went down. They went from M to N. Yeah, I, I want to address this whole letter thing. It's silly. Um, mm-hmm. As someone who owns a car with a letter after it, 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 like CTSV, I don't really know what the V stands for. I think it might be Velocity. 
at the time when that very fast, but they didn't want to, they didn't have enough. It was GM. So they didn't have enough money to put an F uh, badge as well next to the, well, it's that, that was back in 2004 when that car came out. So, you know, they, it was a little bit of me too, ism, but we're, we're in 2019 and it just feels like Hyundai could have come up with a really cool name for its performance cars. I'm not knocking N in the set. I don't think it's terrible, but I just don't get the following the crowd kind of mentality because there's so little else about this car that does follow the crowd. Okay, you've you've got a, you, you've got me like you've baited me into this whole conversation. You keep giving me these little teasers at the end of each statement you make. What do you mean? What is so special about this Veloster N? It is just a it's just a, a the the Veloster that we know and love. It's got some interesting red accents all over it. And what? Tell me. Tell everybody. What's so special about this thing? Can you put how you're feeling into words and onto this podcast? So the Veloster, the previous generation Veloster was not that great. Would you would you agree with that, Sammy? It was okay. I it, wouldn't. It was I wouldn't fine. Say it was. I wouldn't say it wasn't great. I think I, especially the later versions of it, there was like a special. It was called the Rally, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Model. Well, no, it was. It was. I'm, I should not say not that great. It, it was not a great performance car. It was uh, it was a good commuter, and I like the styling. And you know, it had two doors on one side, one door on the other. Everybody pretty much knows that now. Uh, so it's it was a risky styling move, but it attracted a lot of attention for Hyundai, and the vehicle was reliable and comfortable and all that good stuff. But when you drove it quickly, it wasn't super rewarding. It was fine, mm-hmm. but you were you didn't get out of the car and think, oh man, I can't wait to get back behind the wheel. So the second generation Velocity, which I believe came out last year, if, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, um, it turned things around in a pretty big way. And when it first came out, the first model year, they had an R-Spec model that was, you know, it had modest horsepower. It was a 1.6 liter turbo, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the chassis was really nice. It was really fun You could also drive. get a naturally aspirated two liter, if I remember correctly, too. Yeah, that was the, but not, not in the R-Spec, I don't think. Right. So uh, the R-Spec was just a, a nice package. And when they announced the N was coming out, they were gonna. They're like, oh, so you know, we already have a, a pretty fun version of the Veloster, but we're gonna kind of make a bonkers version of the Veloster, and that's what the N is. They put the two liter turbo engine in it. You can mm-hmm. get between two hundred and fifty and two hundred and seventy five horsepower, and I'll get into that differential later. Um, it comes with a whole bunch of performance goodies, you know, stuff like a limited slip front front differential is available, has a dynamic suspension. You can adjust the stiffness of the of the damping. It has a, a fairly modest aero package on it. It's it's not mm-hmm. screaming "look at me," but it does catch attention. The model that I had was finished in this really nice blue. I think it's called Performance Blue, and okay. I had a number of people ask me about the color or tell me they liked the color, like just walking down the street, and specifically the color, not necessarily the car. So that <laughs> that to me that suggests that they don't necessarily know what the Veloster is. They're yes. actually responding to the hue that's on on the metal. So that was okay. interesting. Okay, I want to back up a little bit because I d- there there seems to be this this like uh, it's this 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 path we kind of fall into every time we talk about a new generation product and when we say oh the last generation was not that great but this new one oh this is the this is the one we're talking about and I want to go back and I want to talk a little bit about the past generation Veloster which I thought was a very decent um, car and I thought that for some new um, People who aren't people who aren't necessarily the hardcore auto enthusiasts who want to get involved in in driving something that's a little bit more um, hotter than your average car that that was still a pretty good car. What I liked yeah. about the new generation Veloster is that it took everything that was going on with the Veloster Turbo before and 
one-upped it and made it feel a little bit more exciting, interesting. And then this Veloster N came out, and just like you said, bonkers. It's just everything. They threw threw everything at it, right? In the course of one generation, Hyundai has gone from being a wannabe in the hot hatch segment to a world-class competitor. That's a great way to put it. I I would usually call it a – I used to call it a lukewarm uh, hatchback instead of a hot hatch. And I think now we've got something that's really up there in the segment. So tell me. This is crazy to think that in one generation, the Veloster N has gone from, like I said, a lukewarm hatch into something that, what does this, you think this is better than the, this is definitely better than a Honda Civic SI. Oh, it's it's not, we're, we're, you know, the SI is, that's way down in Veloster R-spec territory. So the, where are we talk? where are we talking in terms of your the, experience? The Veloster N is aimed right at the Civic Type R. There is absolutely no question in my mind that when they were building this car, when they were engineering it, they were like... They had a picture of the Civic Type R on the wall, and every day they came into work and they looked at it and they punched it really hard, and then they went to their desks and they said, we're going to build a car that's more fun to drive than the Civic Type R, and we're going to make it cheaper at the same time. And that's what they did. Okay, and I want to backtrack a little bit again because the Civic Type R is an extremely um, high-performance car. It is fast. Well, it's fast. It's 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 a very fast front wheel drive compact car. I, w- I think mm-hmm. that's what I would go with. Um, it has the what the the Nurburgring record for front wheel drive lap times. I, that's kind of like a I guess a uh, consolation prize <laughs> if you really think about it. But um, they they have that. It's it's quick in a straight line. I think it does the quarter mile in thirteen seven at one hundred and five, which is decently right. yeah. decently quick. Um, and it does sixty in. Let me look, double check because I'm not one hundred percent sure. But uh, it's 5.4 seconds. So that's that's pretty fast. Right. Now, the Veloster N, if you look I, at... I, look, no, no, hold on. Let's go back to this Type R. I know you and I disagree a little bit on the Type R because I think it's actually pretty good to drive. But you, on the other hand, have, have described it on this podcast as a managed or a curated experience. Yeah. I feel right? like when you drive the Civic Type R... You're being presented with a computerized, digitized version of what Honda thinks a front-wheel drive sport compact car should be. Uh, And I think that it's not necessarily interesting from that perspective. I think that it's a very quick and very competent car, but I didn't have any fun driving it. And fun is really important to me when I'm buying an enthusiast-oriented car. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. And, I mean, if a car doesn't really um, spur you on to have fun in it, then what does it do? It's just it's just eye candy for everyone else, right? Yeah, well, it's I mean, there's, there's two types of people, right? There's people who, and, and I think there's people who meld these two things together. But there's people who focus on the spec sheet, and mm. if you do that with the Civic Type R, it wins. I mean, it wins. It was like with 306 horsepower, something like that. It, it's yeah. it's it wins all those categories. You know, the numbers on the page don't lie. And and you look at the Veloster N. And it's behind the Civic Type R in all of those categories. Mm-hmm. But then you drive the two cars. And the beautiful thing about it, and this is nice because we how many times do we complain on the podcast about how homogenous a certain segment of the market has become? All the time. Yeah, especially when we're talking about crossovers. But it's not just crossovers. <laughs> There's a lot of areas where you drive you know, four or five different versions of the same idea, whether it's a sports sedan or a family car, and they all feel very similar. But you have these two cars here that are you know, ostensibly aimed at the same buyer, someone who wants a hot front-wheel drive turbo hatch, and mm-hmm. they, they couldn't be more different. And that's, that's great. I mean, to have that kind of choice as a customer is amazing. And um, I really – I'm impressed that – 
Hyundai didn't decide to just copy the Type R. They decided to create something else that was as good, if not better, in some areas. And then they were confident enough to put that on the market and say, we think people will choose this instead. Okay, so let's get back to the, the Veloster N. You drove the – which horsepower model did you drive? Because there's like a, a standard version in the U.S. that makes 250 horsepower. And then there's a performance package version um, that you can get that makes 275 horsepower. Yes, and I drove the performance package car because here in okay. Canada, we only get the performance package car. Say what? Yeah, so in the States, though, it's, it's, not, it's not expensive. Uh, the, the Veloster starts at about $26,900, the Veloster N. And mm-hmm. then if you want the performance pack, it's only two grand. So I, I want to list what you get for that $2,000. It's not just the horsepower. You 25 get, horsepower. You get more settings for the... For the uh, exhaust system, which is already very loud, but you get more loudness if you want it. Um, you get more different gearing for the six-speed manual. Mm-hmm. It's a more aggressive ratios. And you get a limited slip front differential. You bump up from 18-inch tires to 19-inch tires. You go from uh, Super Sports to Pirelli P0s. You get larger brakes all around. You get mm-hmm. uh, better cooling for those brakes. And you get the, the a different uh, front roll bar. And uh, the adaptive shocks that I mentioned—that's all for two thousand dollars, dude. That's a good—that's a good deal. But it sounds like you get a stiffer vehicle. <laughs> yes and no. Um, <laughs> the stiff—the stiffness of the vehicle in normal mode, honestly, the car is quite comfortable, and it, it gets a lot quieter, uh, and it feels very normal and friendly. And then you go into N mode, which is a, there's a button on the steering wheel. It says N. It actually, doesn't say N. It has a little flag on it, like a checkered flag. And this button allows you to do two things. You can either go right into end mode, which is what happens right away, which puts everything in its sportiest setting. Or you can go to custom mode, which mm-hmm. is really cool, and I want to tell you why. I, everyone who's listened to this podcast, they know that I love loud cars. And I like when you can just have the car be loud all the time, but not necessarily have every other performance setting on. The, the custom setting for the Veloster N is legitimately custom. You can, you can change everything about the car to your liking. You're not forced to have traction control on or off or stability control in sport mode. So I can make the car loud and I can make the shock absorbers as soft as I want at the same and time. And there's no like pedal dance, no secret code. It's no, just right I, don't, I don't have to punch my chest and like stare into a laser and like it's, it's super easy. You don't have to like hold a paddle and double tap this and that. Okay. No, this, it's, it's, it's even if you had no arms you could use your tongue and turn the system on and uh so when i was just driving around town of course i want to be loud and obnoxious so i had the exhaust set full sportiness and the suspension set full soft and it was great it was so great uh it the the um performance package dumps fuel when you lift off of the the accelerator so whether that's an upshift or a downshift you're mm-hmm. still getting the this crazy crackle and if you're really it's it's various gradations of crackle too because sammy how many times have you been sitting at home and heard a car go by and known oh that's a porsche cayman because i know exactly what their off-throttle crackle sounds like there's there's like only two cars that make super distinct car noises i think any bmw straight six sounds the same when they when they get off throttle and they they do it obnoxiously and then there's the F-Type that I think does it almost incre- like insanely loud. And you can be like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. And you can look and you, that's an F-Type for sure. So you're telling me this one's got its own, its own pop and, and no, uh, personality I'm, I'm, in it? Or I'm, what? Say, I'm saying that a lot of the pops and personalities <clears throat> that you experience are very programmed and controlled. Like it's always like three pops, you know, like and they sound <laughs> yeah. exactly the same. Like, but with the Veloster N performance package, it depends on where you are in the rev range. So if you're like – 
even if you're fairly low, you can still get some popping action. Um, it, once the car's warmed up, it has little on the tachometer it has yellow and red increments that that light up um, as the vehicle warms up. There's fewer. It's like the original e or not the original, but the E39 M5 had a similar thing to try cool. and tell you to keep the revs down until it's warm. Anyway. So when you're in the lower part, it sounds one way, but if you're really on it hard and you lift to shift, it, it explodes out the back. Like it's a different experience. So it's it's got different types. It, there's a variance in how the vehicle sounds, and that variance is related to how it's being driven. Okay, cool. Um, that's just and that's a lot to say about what the performance pack does and the end mode does. What's the rest of this car like? I mean, talk to me about the the the, the throttle response. Talk to me about the steering feel. I mean. The also, car, the, trans, the transmission, this is a manual-only vehicle, right? Yes, and it, it feels, both of those things feel very good. Uh, the the throttle is extremely responsive. When you have the engine in sport mode, It's it feels exactly how you'd want it to feel. You don't really get the sensation you're driving a turbocharged car. There's very mm. little lag. Everything happens with an immediacy that um, is actually fairly surprising. And that's one of the things about the previous generation Veloster that it didn't have. It didn't have that same engaged driving experience with the drivetrain. Um, I found that there was a lot of delay when you would shift, um, yeah. and that was programmed. A, rev, a kind of a rev hang, right? Yeah, and and the 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 N has none of that. Uh, the okay. steering is good. It's a front wheel drive car, so you're still going to get some understeer. But what I found was I drove it on some wet roads through some wet corners, and I mm-hmm. pushed it fairly hard in those those circumstances. And I found that the car would would push to the outside of the corner, but it was very predictable and controlled. And the way it happened, it was communicating to me what was going on um, under the front wheels, and I was able to deal with the understeer. So I appreciated that. Uh, there's also not a lot of torque steer. Mm-hmm. It, unless you're in ruts or something, like on, on asphalt that's fairly rutted, you probably won't notice it. I, I took it to a drag strip. Yeah, I, I took uh, Okay, well, let's, 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 let me just stick, stick, stick on that for a second, because the, the Type R as well had very managed torque steer, if I remember correctly. Uh, and it's cool to see that that's just not this magic formula that honda has in its lab that hyundai can crack that as well yeah yeah i don't think honda has any magic earth dreams formulas that can't be cracked okay <laughs> uh, i took it to a drag strip though which is you know where you'd expect to see some torque steer because you're launching hard from a stop over and over and over and it was a cold night so mm-hmm. about um, 13 degrees celsius which i think translates into maybe mid 40s and uh on, on the fahrenheit scale and anyway um it has a launch control system. So, you know, there's there's two things. I've talked about how you know, I didn't like the Civic Type R because it felt very managed. The Veloster's N, it has a couple of things that are a, kind of a, a hat tip to people who want a managed experience. There's an automatic rev match function, which you can turn off completely. And once Does it work well? Uh, it works fine. It works as well as all of them do. I mean, it's just it looks for the gate position of the shifter, and then it it triggers the throttle. Do you um, keep it? Do you keep that system on or or turn it off? When it's one hundred percent. It's one hundred percent off. Um, when you drive, yeah, I just don't okay. need it. But the the problem is on the Veloster end, the pedals are not well placed for actual heel toe shifting. Mm-hmm. So if you want to do that, it's a challenge. So I can okay. understand why it's there. But the other part of the the management is it has a launch control system. Ooh, yeah, and it's so. Here's how it works. This is a little bit of a Konami code. Uh, okay. You have to you engage it, and it's 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 supposedly it's automatically engaged when you're in end mode. Okay. And to to trigger it, 
you have to floor the throttle hard right away. Like you can't ease into it. You have to really slam your foot to the floor quickly. Okay. And then you'll get a message on the screen that says launch control engaged. And you can use the cruise control buttons to raise or lower the RPM. Because it's going <laughs> to – it pegs at like 5,000 or something. And I think you can drop it to 3,500. So that's like the range you can play in. But let me tell you, when you're at the drag strip and you're staged and you're ready to go and you floor it, you have to hope that it triggers because it doesn't always trigger. Uh-huh. And some of that is because I'm not flooring it properly, but some of that's also because it has like a heat protection that kicks in, I think. Um, okay. You can only do it so many times in a row or within a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then you have to very quickly set the – it doesn't remember what you'd set previously for the revs. Okay, and then, so it doesn't save your no. – it just doesn't save what you did last. So mm-hmm. the couple times that I used it, it was it was revving really high, and then it just got crazy wheel shake, like off throttle uh, wheel hop off the line, and it was not good. Um, okay. So I wasn't really impressed with the launch control. I mean, it, it uh, launching a front-wheel drive car with a lot of power is never easy. So mm-hmm. I would just turn everything off, and you can do that in the Veloster. You turn all of the nannies off, and then I would slip the clutch myself – and I was able to run a 14 flat at 102 miles an hour. And Ooh. the fastest time I've seen online for the car is 13.9. I think Road and Track ran that. Motor Trend ran a 14.3 with the car. They couldn't beat that, which really surprised me because okay. I was it was cold where I was. So there was very little grip. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was at an NHRA-sanctioned racetrack. It's, it's, um, it's not like just some fly-by-night operation. So I'm, I'm confident in that time. And I was able to repeat it several, several times. Consistency. And, that's very important, especially in a car that offers, one, a, uh, a, a launch control. But even when you're not using the launch control to feel that it's, it's you know, you're confident in, in, the, in the abilities of that car, right? Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's, that's, that's reasonably quick. It's still <laughs> a 0.2 seconds slower than the Civic Type R. But uh, to get that time in the Type R, I'm pretty sure you're using their launch control system, too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it all, for me... Just driving the Veloster, it, it felt like we were we were co-conspirators. We were in it together. We were having cool. fun. Um, it was kind of egging me on to drive like a hooligan. But like, even if I didn't want to drive like a hooligan, it was okay with that. I could keep things relatively low on the boil and still have a good time in the car. And I never really had that sensation in, in the Type R. In the Type R, it was like... I would get in and it was like, okay, this is like a space shuttle launch and we can go really, really fast if you want to, um, but you're kind of a passenger for most of that. You're not really um, being drawn into the driving experience in the same yeah, way. Yeah, you're just holding on. Yeah, and and for Hyundai to have developed a car that, I mean, I've always kind of, I, the, the Veloster and a few other models, I was never really drawn into the uh, drivetrains of the cars. They never really felt right. like something I would, I enjoyed putting through its paces. It was more like, okay, the power is adequate and I like the rest of the car, but where's the beef under the hood? And the Veloster N has really blown that away. Okay. Um, I, I wanted to ask one final question about this car before final I Final question? But, well, before I start bothering you about other things. Um, <laughs> okay. You had the 19-inch wheels on this? Yeah. With the Pirelli P0s? Yes. What do you think? Do you think that would be a better choice than the, than the Michelin Pilot Supersports on the... On the standard wheels? I mean, it's not a drag car. It might be because the, it has bigger brakes and you need to go to 19s. Mm. So that they might not have much choice there. But uh, I don't know why they changed tire brands. That is a good question. It's a, it's weird, right? Okay. Uh, I'm glad Unless they don't make this. They might not make the size. I mean, right. it's a low-volume vehicle, right? So who knows? 
I love the fact that you have this car that makes you feel like you're having a, a blast, that it's designed to make you enjoy driving no matter what the situation calls for. I mean, it's one thing to, 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 to get consistent lap, uh, sorry, track times on a drag strip. It's another thing to have a car that's still fun to drive on the road. Yeah, um, and it's, it's not a dra- it's not a drag car either. No, right? it's not. I mean, that, I'm just I just brought that up because that's no, no. Your, your I, I get I get what you're saying. Um, and I imagine, it, I mean, from what other people have told me, it seems to be a lot of fun uh, on the track as well. And to consider that this car is one, it's from Hyundai. Two, it's under thirty thousand dollars. I think you get it for twenty eight with that performance package, which is a great deal. Yeah, well, 26, 26,800 plus 2,100, so you're probably looking at 29, which is still six or seven less than a Type R. And not to mention the Type R's, from what I understand, are in high demand and are difficult to get at their at that price point that you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, so you're, you're definitely right. You've got something that is that is. It just seems like a perfect like a perfect combination. I was going to say perfect storm, but I don't really want to use that cliche. So hey, it's a, it's a good combination of what goes together in a car to make you enjoy, like a good enthusiast car, right? Yes, and and yeah, go ahead. It, I'm saying it's it's another example of the Hyundai mothership doing what they did with the Genesis G70. They looked at a segment, they saw what wasn't being done in that segment anymore, mm-hmm. and they created a car that was. As good as the competition where it needed to be, and then more interesting than the competition in other areas. And it, some people, uh, uh, a friend of the show, uh, Bev Braga, had mentioned she's an owner of a Mazda Speed 3, mm-hmm. a second gen. And this car is kind of like that car in the sense that it has a lot of power going to the front mm-hmm. wheels, and it's rambunctious. Um, the, 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 Mazda, the Mazda Speed 3s were known as not being necessarily easy to to handle the, all of that horsepower off the line. Mm-hmm. They would cut boost, I think, in the first three gears to try and get it to the pavement. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's kind of like that, that car's been gone for a long time. And it's all, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Hyundai took some inspiration from that particular vehicle uh, when they were looking at the, the Veloster N. And it's also interesting, too, is they didn't use all-wheel drive. Yeah, which, which I'm would have sh- added weight, which would have added cost. I mean, and who knows if it fits under this platform? I mean, we just we don't know. But it's mm-hmm. it's still they, they went with the front wheel drive platform, which is which is interesting. Um, can I, let's talk about the Mazda Speed Three. I had the Mazda Speed Three as one of my first press cars when I got into this industry, and I remember that thing being a handful, like a like actually a handful. You need to you cannot take your hands off the wheel with this thing. Um, it was. It was really old school in the way that it delivered its boost. It was extremely. It had a, a, a very late. Maybe it's that that uh, that management that you mentioned earlier that just made it say like, no, you're not getting full power until now. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and let's actually talk about this segment now, where it is. We've not only the Fluster N doesn't just face off with cars like the. Type R, but there's also the Golf R, and there's also the Subaru WRX STI, and there's also even cars like I don't know, maybe the Mercedes-Benz CLA in some cases. Wow. That, the the 45 AMG. I mean, it's a very expensive in comparison. It's like twice, extra, the, twice the price at least. It's true, but I mean, you're getting um, something that seems very similar in performance. It's just not manual only, like like this car is. Well, yeah, I think too that it's 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 in between a lot of the vehicles you just mentioned. Like it's between a Golf R and a GTI. It is clearly a better driver's car than a GTI, even though a GTI is good. A GTI it's is, yeah. is, a, is a soft car until you take care of the softness. If you want to put it on a racetrack, and mm. and it is much slower than a Veloster N. 
But the the the, the Golf R is quicker in a straight line, I think, um, mm-hmm. and it feels more refined than the Veloster N. See, this the, the, where the Veloster N loses points, I think, is inside the car. It's very, very similar to a regular Veloster. That doesn't really bother me. You have a lot of equipment. I had a heated steering wheel and heated seats and all that stuff. I think it, I think it was a heated steering wheel, if I remember. But uh, the only real changes are you get uh, blue seatbelts that match the blue paint on the outside and, like, sports seats up front. So okay. um, there's still a lot of plastic in there, and it's, it's right. a and the compact Gulf, car. And the Golf R has is much more refined. It's much yeah. more special inside. Yeah. But I don't I, I don't want to say special actually. It just comes with more more equipment. And I, I don't I don't think the Civic Type R is particularly better inside than the Veloster N. I think oh, it's okay. kind of a similar philosophy. Um you get the special bits but the rest of it is very very civic, uh which is again fine. Um I, that that kind of thing doesn't bother me. Uh and especially doesn't bother me with the N because as you pointed out, even with the performance pack, you're still under $30,000. It's a screaming deal. It's a great deal. It's, um, really, it's what the Mustang used to be, <laughs> you know? Back when Mustangs were affordable and GTs weren't stupid money. And it's it, it just has that kind of, like, people's sports car appeal. I want to talk a little bit about the interior. You just mentioned the interior of the Civic. And I've been driving a lot of these Civic hatchbacks recently in fully well-equipped models. Not Type R's or SI's, but well-equipped versions of the regular Civic hatch. The interior of these cars is not its strong. In, in terms of... Quality and um, in terms of design is not the Civic strong point. It really is annoying to get in this and look at these buttons and and how they're placed like haphazardly all over the dash, and it's a complete mess. One of the things that I really like about Hyundai's design philosophy, especially interior design, is that it's very clean. It's easy to use, and I, I can see that happening with the Veloster as well. Yeah, it's it. You know, um, at the at the end of the day. It's still a compact entry-level pr- platform that we're looking at. Right. And I'm happy if they save me a few thousand dollars by not going overboard with weird stuff in the interior that I honestly don't care about. When I went to um, Korea as part of my World Car of the Year experience to see Hyundai and Kia and some of their new cars that they've been talking about, there was a lot of questions about the future of the N brand. And um, a lot of journalists we're excited to see where N goes from the Veloster. Are, do you have any interest in seeing what they can do after impressing you with the Veloster N, whether well, or not there's other cars in the, in, in the Hyundai, sorry, portfolio. In the Hyundai portfolio that deserves this kind of treatment and can handle it with, with ease? Well, they are already bringing, if it hasn't already here, the Elantra GT N-Line, I think, is a mm-hmm. vehicle, and that's kind of like n Light, which is, again, pointing out the absurdity of this branding, <laughs> where it's yeah. very Me Too. It's the same as the, the M-Sport or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I don't know if we're going to see like a full Elantra N, which would be awesome. I think that would be a lot of fun, too. Um, How different would it be from this, though, right? I mean, it would be larger, and I assume it would have more power. But okay. I don't know why I think that. And, uh, <laughs> you just have an inkling. I think that I'm not sure whether Hyundai wants to. It would be a one of one vehicle too, right? Because while the Veloster, well, that's not necessarily true. I guess it would could theoretically go up against the STI, but there aren't a lot of um, performance compact sedans anymore. Okay, they, like they're mostly hatchbacks, right? You have the Focus RS, the ST; those were all hatchbacks. Civic Type R. Um, you have the WRX and the STI from Subaru as the stands, yep. and then you have the fake performance cars like the Nissan uh, Sentra Nismo, which is not a performance car. I've never at mentioned all. that car at all. <laughs> this is a, you have ruined my night by mentioning <laughs> this car. This 
can't stand that poor Nissan Sentra. I, I don't know so what. Bad for it. I don't know what they were thinking every time. Every time I see that vehicle and its branding on that, um, I feel like it's been left. It, it really was left behind, and they and they really botched the nameplate, the Nismo nameplate there. But um, who knows? Maybe something else can come down the line. I mean, the Juke Nismo was kind of fun to drive too. So. That's true, but the Juke Nismo was was kind of. I, they didn't really go overboard with it. I mean, not for a production model. Those um, seats were obnoxious. That was already a good platform, whereas the Sentra platform, it's it's not really great at anything except being big and comfortable mm-hmm. and for, for the compact segment and being inexpensive. I mean, that's pretty much the reasons why anyone would buy a Sentra, I think. Uh, it looks good. But it's it's not uh, it's not any way interesting to drive, and it never ha- it never has been this generation. So okay, but going back to my question, I can see a Kona N really being one of the coolest cars ever. Oh, uh, I don't know, Sammy. I mean, it's a crossover. It, it, it's barely a crossover. You've seen the Kona; it's tiny. I've driven the Kona, and it's not like a it's not like a lumbering SUV. It's a tiny little car. It could definitely do with an N performance version. But then the thing is, if you know, the Veloster is already a hatchback and then you have the Kona hatchback and it's like are you cannibalizing sales? So I, I don't know if that would happen. I mean, it would maybe. just hit those people who want a, a slightly higher taller vehicle in some way or another or maybe more, I don't know, trunk space. I mean, what about a Sonata N? Oh, that would be so good. I think that's actually for sure coming. You think uh, so? Like, think that I'm talking mentioned. N. I'm not talking N-line. You think that they would make a Sonata N? They said that their N division is is working with, with almost every vehicle that they've got to see what they can do. And I think the Sonata is, is definitely on that list. Um, what would it compete with? Well, we did see some ridiculous concepts from Toyota that are, that are actually a reality, that are TRD versions of the Camry. That's true, but it didn't gain any power. That's... It doesn't. I mean, unless the thing will crack 300 horsepower, it's still in the in the right territory, you know. I, I guess so, but it's it's also a lot heavier car, so I don't know. Like, do you want? Are you diluting the N if you make a, a, a Sonata N that's like the TRD Camry? Because I think TRD as a brand is strong enough to withstand things like the TRD Camry and the. Didn't they make a TRD Avalon too, or am I? <laughs> yeah, they yeah. made a TRD Avalon. So I mean, if your brand is strong enough to support those two cars. That's one thing, but if you're a brand new brand and you're like, all right, check out this Hyundai Santa Fe N, people are going to be like, eh, I don't know what N means anymore. <laughs> <laughs> immediately. Immediately after introducing the N brand, we're like, wait, I don't get it anymore. It gets tanked. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're going to make a Palisade N, and it's, it's going to compete with like items like the, the track, like the, sorry, it's the... Dodge Durango Hellcat? Or no, not Hellcat. SRT, see? If you make a Palisade (laughs) N that has, like, SRT levels of power, that would be awesome. I just don't think that that will happen. Like, that's that that to me doesn't damage the brand. I mean, it might make people confused, but I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll hurt it. Uh, No, I think what what is the most interesting thing is that N actually has a performance division and it's, uh, I mean, a motorsports division, which is in rally racing and in street racing, if I I remember correctly. Street street racing? Sorry, like like circuit racing. Like Fast and Furious style? No, my You got me. Overnight parts from Korea if we have to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, sorry. I just had it. Uh, they They have a special track version of the car, so... Yeah, I mean, and they've been rallying the i30 for a long time, haven't they? Right. In Europe. So, so it's cool to see, yes, touring car is what I wanted to say, okay. not street racing. Sorry for that. That's okay. Um, and 
you know, they've got this heritage they're trying to showcase. They're trying to, to, to equalize one item to the next. And that's what they're doing with the, with the Veloster N. It'll be interesting to see what other motorsports they might want to get into and what cars they might have in that, um, in that world. Yeah, and even if there's nothing, just the fact that Hyundai is willing to take a tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollar risk on debuting a new line of high-performance cars that no one might, maybe no one will buy. I mean, that just shows how much this brand is feeling its oats. Not only have they created the Genesis brand on its own, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a, a huge money sink. Uh, they're like, yeah, we're going to make sports cars too. And, and they're backing it up with engineering and design. And these are not placeholder cars. These are actual, this is something that you know, people would want to buy. It is a compelling car that is at close to the top of its segment. I think it's better than, you know, something like a GTI, as I mentioned, and it's better Mm -hmm. than a Focus ST, which is an older design at this point. I had more fun with it than a Focus RS, even though the RS is quicker. So, and and I had more fun than in the Civic Type R, but I realized that's a controversial opinion and the internet is going to hate me for that. I don't know if the internet will hate you for that. I think there's a there's a bunch of things that make the Type R really interesting and that have nothing to do with performance. I think the the shifter, the feel of that shifter, that Honda, it's like this buttery smooth Honda shifter, and it get it makes me fall in love every time I use it. And I can't wait to see what this uh, Veloster N is like because I've heard that it's very similar. So uh, next week, Sammy, what are you going to be talking to us about? I mean, we we've expounded oh, yeah. on the end. The, we've expounded on the end, but I'm sure that there's something else that's not Korean and perhaps hails from a brand that you've recently fallen in love with and seem to drive almost exclusively. That we're going to talk about. <laughs> I I um, I actually just recently drove the Mercedes Benz GLC class. Oh, big surprise, Mercedes Benz, and uh, that included the SUV, the coupe, and the AMG version of both of those. And uh, that was a lot of fun. It's under embargo until next week, so I'll have to wait until then to tell you all about it. So please make sure to click on next week's episode because that's going to be very interesting. To yeah, and about. as a counterpoint to Sammy's enthusiasm, I'm going to tell some sad tales about the Toyota CHR. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> a ve- you, a vehicle, yeah, go ahead. It, it, it's a vehicle that maybe shouldn't have been. And um, anyway, we'll get to that. Next I think you're. I think you're mistaken. I think you're. You're seeing it as something that it's not because I think it's a very interesting. It's a very. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not like the rest of its class. <laughs> I guess the word I'd be looking for would be mistake. Um, <laughs> just from a branding perspective, uh, okay, because yeah. as we as we all know, this was a vehicle that was supposed to be a Scion, and then Scion disappeared. And Sammy is the only person left on Earth who owns a Scion. And you keep but, calling it a Subaru. I don't know what you're talking about, but in any case, the CHR soldiered on as a Toyota, and it's so out of step in a lot of ways with the rest of the Toyota family, and, and that's something I want to talk about next week. Okay, so if you enjoyed today's episode, or if you didn't enjoy today's episode and you're worried about that, head to our website. It's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and while, while you're there, you can subscribe to our podcast so that you catch next week's episode, and you can see whether or not it's a consistent thing, whether you like this epi- this podcast or don't like this podcast. Preferably you like it, right, Ben? Like That's the right thing to do. You're going down a dangerous hole talking to the <laughs> Sammy. Um, and if you don't like it, honestly, send us some feedback. We have a contact form there. You can um, let us know what you think of the podcast. We really appreciate that feed- that feedback, and it really helps make our podcast what it is today, um, which is to say better than what it was when it started. 
And if you want to get in touch with us and uh, talk to us about what we're talking about or what you'd like us to talk about, you can get a hold of us on social media. Sammy is on Twitter for some reason, even though people are so mean. And his handle is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Uh, you can find me on Instagram where everything is much friendlier. My handle there is at Hunting Benjamin, or you can email me Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Or Sammy, did you mention the contact form on the website? I certainly did. Okay, so you can do that too. And we hope to uh, have you all back with us next week. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening.